kids. I was a strange kid when I was growing up. I wasn't into the cartoons on Saturday morning. My Saturday morning TV watching was all about inside the NFL, football, follies. I mean, that's what consumed me every single Saturday morning. I got bored with cartoons. I had to watch football. It's Super Bowl Sunday, right? I mean, it's the highlight of the year. But you go on to TV now, back then, on a Saturday morning, I knew what I was going to watch. It was easy because we had like three channels. Now I sit down on my couch and I grab the remote and I spend hours just trying to figure out what I want to watch because everything looks so amazing. And I just flip and 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 I just can't figure it out anymore. Sometimes we are so overwhelmed with options, we just don't know what to do. It's the reality of our life today. There's so many options out there. Which choice do we really want to make? And I think we struggle with that with Jesus too. I mean, let's be honest. Why Jesus? With all the other, so to speak, truths that are out there, with all the other options that this world has to give, why him? What, what makes him any different? What makes him any more special? Why should I go this route? I, I think it's a, it's a question that we all wrestle with. And it gets down to understanding the character of God. And throughout the Bible, the character of God is revealed in his name. His name that he gave to Moses at the burning bush. In Exodus chapter 3, verse 14, God said to Moses, I am who I am. This is what you are to say to the Israelites. When Moses was struggling what to do, what to say, when God was calling him to go to, to Egypt, he says, I am will be with you. Because in my name, this is who I am. This is my character. This is everything about me. This is your strength is found in me. We're starting this new message series today, and we're going to be diving into the very name of God himself, I am, that is personified through the man Jesus, highlighted in the gospel of John, as he reveals the reality and the depths of this name. You know, when Moses was, met God at the burning bush, he was struggling with his identity. He was struggling with his purpose. He was struggling with his confidence. And God said at that burning bush, Moses, you will find who you are. You'll find your confidence that you're searching for in me. I am. I am everything that you need. And that's revealed through Jesus. You see, we're all, we're all on this quest to find confidence. Every one of us deep down within our own selves are trying to find confidence within our own selves, finding who we are, trying to realize our purpose. And my friends, I'm here to tell you that your purpose, your confidence is found in the great I am personified in the man Jesus. We're going to be going through the Gospel of John for the next few weeks, specifically when he talks about I am his name. You know, the encounter that we're going to be dealing with today, Jesus just finished feeding the 5,000. You probably know that story. You've heard it. You've read it. You see how Jesus, with just a few loaves of bread and some fish, fed over 5,000 people. And that was just the men. On top of the men were all the wives and the children in that count. He 
it's, it's, it's believed that Jesus fed 20 to 30,000 people that day with five loaves of bread and some fish. I mean, can you imagine that for a moment? It, the people were just truly amazed, and they realized this, there's something special here. And they all fell asleep with excitement. And during that night, the disciples went on the boat to the other side of the Sea of Galilee. And Jesus stayed and prayed. And he finally said, I want to catch up with them. And then we see the story of Jesus walking on water to get to his disciples. And then the next morning, fast forward some, through some amazing stories in the gospel. The next morning they wake up and they're in the city called Capernaum. Capernaum's on the other side of the Sea of Galilee. And then on the other side where Jesus was the night before, all the disciples, all the crowd that saw him feed, all these people woke up and started saying, where's Jesus? Where is he? Where did he go? We need to be with Jesus. And then they went on this quest to find him. And they found him across the lake in a place called Compartum. And as soon as they found him, they began this dialogue, this series of questions that I think we walk through as well sometimes when we encounter Jesus. You know, the first question they asked Jesus was, when did you get here? I, they're trying to really get to the understanding, Jesus, we fell asleep and you're over there. We saw your disciples get in the boat and go across the lake. We know the boat was gone. We thought we were going to be your taxi cab on the lake this morning. How did you get over here? What happens? But I think at the depth of their question, there was something even more. A question we all face. A question we all wrestle with. Jesus, where did you go? We saw you do all this amazing stuff yesterday. But I need you today. Where did you go? I saw you do this work yesterday, but I need you to work in my life today. Where did you go? And I think we all wrestle with that because we're all in a search for something greater than ourselves. Ultimately, we're all in search for Jesus in some form or way, and we all come to that same question. Jesus, where did you go? Yesterday, it was great what you did, but I need you now. And I think we wrestle with that. And as soon as they approached Jesus and they began their conversation with that one question, Jesus quickly responded in John 6, verses 26 through 27. Very truly, I tell you, you are looking for me, not because you saw the signs I performed, but because you ate the loaves and you had your fill. Do not work for food that spoils, but for the food that endures for eternal life, which the Son of Man will give you. For on him, God the Father was placed, has placed his seal of approval. As soon as they came to Jesus, Jesus quickly cut to the heart and questioned their motives. You see, he realized something that we often overlook. When we come to Jesus with the question, where are you? We want Jesus to come through for us in our way. We want Jesus to perform miracles in our life. To fill our appetites to deal with our problems, to just wipe them all away. And what Jesus is saying here is sometimes miracles corrode genuine faith. 
Because sometimes our appetites for what we want is so strong that all we want is the miracle man to come through and give us what we want. And we miss the significance. And we struggle with God. We really struggle with God. The question is, God, where are you? Why aren't you here? Where are you in my life today in this moment with what I'm going through? And we struggle with it because we lean on a faith that is corroded because we lean on an idea that I will believe it when I see it. And until then, I don't know if I just believe it. But you know the scary thing, and I think what Jesus was getting at with the disciples here in this day, how much of the see it do you need to see? You, Jesus like, you saw me feed 20 to 30,000 people yesterday. You guys missed it, but overnight I walked on water. How much of the I need to see it do you really need to see it before you really believe who I am? And I think we wrestle with it because we try to build our faith solely on reasoning. You know, I'm not going to really believe in him until I see it, until I fully can understand it, until I can comprehend everything about him. And we've got this passion for reason, and I fear our passion for reason has corroded our genuine faith. Our ability to have genuine faith. Our desire is to know all things, and then when we know all things, then I will believe. The struggle is, you will never know all things. You will never get it all. The struggle is we try to understand based upon what we can see, what we can touch, what we can smell, and what we feel. And we try to box that all together to, to develop our understanding of life and what's beyond life and who Jesus is and really which option to go with. Is Jesus really the one or not? And the struggle with this is that so much of our interpretation of truth is based on what feels right, what I can see, what I can understand. But you know, there's this, the problem with that is we try to take a spiritual God and box him into what is physical. And God does not work in those realms. He works beyond that. For example, we, we, we base so much knowledge of, of what we know about the whole universe solely on what we can see with our own eyes or our ability to create the strongest of telescopes that can see further than the eyes can ever can see. And it seems like every single decade, there's a stronger telescope that opens the doors to so much amazingness that's in the universe that's beyond what we can see, beyond what we can understand. And so often we don't realize how big it is out there. There's so much in the universe that we will never comprehend that we'll probably never even see. And the same is true in our journey. We try to understand a spiritual God in our physical limitations. We try to make the strongest of telescopes, so to speak, to try to comprehend who he is in our life but as strong as telescopes may be, we'll never fully comprehend him. At some point, we need to believe. Because believing truly opens up the doors to comprehending and seeing him. 
You see, I think the struggle is our focus. I think the struggle on the, on the crowds that were following Jesus that day was their focus. Jesus, you are the miracle man. We need you to do a miracle in, my, in our life right now. We need every day. Can, can it just be like a daily miracle? A daily feeding? A daily come through in what I'm asking you for? Because then if you do that, then I'll believe you. Then I'll follow you. And you say, you're missing it. See, I think because we have such a passion for reasoning, we have such a strong desire, I have to know it all, we've misunderstood what the ultimate goal is. We've kind of equated the ultimate end-all, be-all goal is knowledge. But maybe it's something different. I'm not saying knowledge is bad. I'm not saying this following Jesus stuff is, hey, it's for the weak. It's just for this, you know, you just got to go with it and just trust it blindly. That's not what I'm saying. In fact, I believe there's strong reason to believe in the reality of Jesus with all the options that are out there. But I'm saying is, if you're thirst for reasoning, if you're thirst for knowledge, if that's all you're going after, you're never going to be satisfied. Like the crowd, you're always going to be chasing Jesus. Give me another sign. And at some point you have to ask yourself, what am I ultimately searching for? Because the end all be all, I think the focus that we should be running after is not so much knowledge but wisdom. There's a difference. And wisdom is developed through trust. And trust is developed through a relationship. You see, trust is developed through understanding the character of God. And I think so often we try to get God to prove it over and over again. We want more of the signs, but in so doing, we miss the heart. We miss him. We miss the significance. And I think that's what he was getting to with the crowd. All you guys want are the flashy shows. Say, hey, come through for me today. Make my life today great. Fill my bellies. Give me what I want. When deep down, God's saying you're really missing it. You're missing what's the most important thing. You see, our focus tends to be about building up knowledge so that we can believe. But what I see in the Bible it's all about building up trust so that I can believe. Trust comes with understanding the character of God, the heart of God, who he really is. What is he all about? The reality of I am and what that means for us today. And trust takes time to build Trust takes that ability to know that, God, you've got this and you've got me. You know, when you train any animal, it's developed over trust. You want to be a successful dog trainer, a successful, uh, can you train cats, cat trainer, right? Or whatever it may be, it develops trust. You cannot successfully develop a trained animals without that trust. They know that person's going to take care of me. That human in thy life, 
they will provide me the food, the water, everything that I need. My best interest is in their mind. They, they will take care of what I need. And because of that, it develops a trust in that relationship between the animal and, and the master in so much that the animal wants in everything in their being to honor that master in their life. Because they know this person will give me everything I need. When I show up, I don't know how, but there's water in my bowl. There's food in my bowl. And I don't know how, but they know exactly when I need to go outside and do my stuff. They will always take care of me. And the more the animal learns that trust, the more they just want to honor their master. Because they know they have full confidence in that relationship. And that's the relationship with us and God. You see, we, we miss out on God's significance in our life when we base upon of God, you got to constantly prove yourself to me. Prove yourself to me. Give me more miracles. And God's saying, you're just, you're just missing it. You're never going to be satisfied. You're never going to be satisfied. Your bellies are always going to go hungry again. Do you know me? Do you know my character? You see, wisdom is gained in the character of God. Understanding his character is what develops that trust. Please understand me, friends. Faith is primarily built on trust, not knowledge. That's where it is. Do you trust him enough to take care of you? Do you trust him enough even when you don't get it in life? Do you trust him enough even when you don't know how you're going to get through each day? How are you going to take that step? Do you trust him enough that he's got you? That he's got you. You know, what this means is there's an acknowledgement that I can't know everything. I can't understand everything. I can't be God. And that's what the chasing knowledge really comes down to. I think we try to chase knowledge because deep down we want to be our own God. That happened all the way at the beginning of time in Genesis with the Tower of Babel. Maybe you're familiar with that story. But before there was all the multitude of languages, mankind decided, we want to get to the heavens. We want to touch God. We want to be God. And they tried to develop a tower to get to God because they thought they were smart enough. They thought they had all the tools. And God said, you think you got this? Watch this. Bam. All of a sudden, everybody began to speak different languages, and they couldn't understand each other at all. Because God was showing them, hey, guess what? You can chase knowledge all you want, but you will never know enough. At some point, you got to trust me. You're not God. I am. I am. I am the one who provides everything that you need. You know, my knowledge for me personally, is built on my understanding on the character of God that has, he's proved himself to me time and time again. My knowledge is built upon the understanding of his heart and his passion for me and for us, which has developed this intimate trust in my relationship with him that I don't always get it. There's many times that when I wake up in the day, I'm like, I don't know how, how I'm going to get through this day. But I trust you. I trust you. And the more I trust him, 
And the more I just give it to him and walk with him, the more my understanding of the reality of God is developed. It's kind of backwards thinking on how we are raised to believe in this world, that we got to get knowledge so that we can understand when God says, no, 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 come to me, understand my character, and as you walk with me, as you trust me, you'll get it more and more. You'll get it more and more. And for the crowd on that day, they reasoned with God for the miracle man to come through in their life once again. They reasoned with God on that day because they believed that this miracle man could become the king that they all wanted, who could wipe out the Roman rule. Everything was developed within the story of their lives that they wanted Jesus to come through. And they're basing that upon their own knowledge. And even in the Old Testament, Proverbs 8, verse 5, it's written, You who are simple gain prudence. But you who are foolish, set your hearts on it. You know what the struggle with this verse is highlighting? We seek out only what we can reason. We grab a hold on to only what we can understand. But the problem is our understanding is so limited. Even the wisest of thinkers in this world, their understanding is so limited. And then when that happens, we begin to govern and discipline our lives based upon what we understand, based upon what we feel we can know, and quite frankly, based upon what we want. And we set our hearts on it. This becomes our motives. This becomes the agenda of our life. This becomes our ambitions. And when the crowd found Jesus, they came to him with that heart. Miracle man, where did you go? We need you to do a miracle today. And Jesus instantly began to question their motives. You just aren't getting it. You're just not getting it. You're looking at me because I filled your bellies. I, I made you full. You walked away and there's leftovers and you had the buffet of life. You, you felt so good about yourself yesterday because everything that you wanted to come through came through for you yesterday. And so here you are back here today and all you want me to do is keep doing the same thing. It's like repeat. Jesus, just keep filling my bellies. Make my day good. Make my life great. And they say, hey, just sign me up for the party. If I can have Jesus and he can be that miracle man, sign me up for the party. I'm in. And the problem is we begin to view Jesus more as a sidekick to our life that's just become the miracle man to make sure every day in our life is great and wonderful and we can go to bed with full bellies not realizing that that's not the significance of who he is. He didn't come to be the miracle man in your life. He became, came to be the leader in your life, the ultimate provider in your life. You see, on that day, the crowd saw the miracle. They saw the signs, but they absolutely missed the significance. And I wonder how much we wrestle with that today, too. The problem is not that God's not working around us. He is. And sometimes and many times, we probably do see those signs. But like the crowd on that day, we miss the significance. We see it as a sign of God, just keep doing the miracles in my life. 
give me the good life that I'm trying to get versus, God, what are you trying to do? You see, in that moment on that day, what they missed was the door that God was opening up to the reality of the gospel. Right now, on that day when Jesus fed all the 5,000 plus people, he was opening up the door to the reality of the gospel, the significance of who he was, Jesus, the Messiah, the Son of God. And we focus, like the crowd that day, we focus so much of all of our attention on filling our own appetites, what we want in life, what we set our hearts on, that we miss the abundance of life that Jesus wants to give to us. Of the life that he wants to pour into our life. The crowd was all focused on Jesus, just fill our bellies, fill our appetites. They were so driven by the material gain of what he, they thought he would provide. And in many ways, I'm no different. And I bet you aren't either. We become so driven by the material gains that we want to achieve in our life that we miss out on the significance of who he is for us and the life that he wants to give. Because all that materialistic stuff that we chase, that we think will buy our own happiness, that we think will take care of us long term, it never lasts. I mean, look at what Jesus was talking to the disciples and the crowd. They, they wanted food. They wanted dinner. We need food to survive physically. If you don't eat, you're not going to live long. And even then, Jesus said, you're missing it. You're making something that's not really that important to taken away from what is the most important. You're missing the best thing. It's not saying food was bad, but it's not the most important thing. That's what Jesus was saying. We're making sometimes things that may be good as the best thing that we should chase in our life when it's really not. And we're missing the heart of God. Our appetites are so strong for what we set our hearts on. It becomes our ambitions. It becomes that thing that we cannot live without. We think we need it every single day of our lives. And we just chase it and chase it and chase it. And we think, I need this to survive. And God, will you give this to me? Because I need you to give this to me. And before you know it, we want Jesus just to satisfy our appetites. When Jesus says, no, no, no. You think that appetite you have is what will fulfill you, but it's not. I'm the one who fulfills. The life that Jesus provides endures forever. He is the bread of life. And after Jesus said all this, the crowd came up with their second question. Okay, that sounds great, Jesus. Uh, okay, I think we're on board, Jesus. That sounds really good. So... What must we do, they asked Jesus, to do the work that God requires? What, what do we need to do in order to get this bread that you give? And I think there's some motives behind that question that we wrestle with. The motives tend to be, what's the baseline? What's the baseline of what needs to be done just so I can satisfy you, Jesus, so that you can give me what I want? 
just so that I can fulfill the appetite of my heart. What's the baseline? And Jesus answered them in John 6, 29, the work of God is this, to believe in the one he has sent. He's telling them, crowd, your heart is set on your appetite. Your heart's not set on me. And as long as your appetites consumes everything about you, whatever that appetite may be, whatever that ambition may be, you will miss the significance of God in your life and what he wants to be in your life. See, my friends, as Jesus said, believing is the starting point for every journey in life. What you set your hearts on is what you believe. You believe if you get that level of income, you'll be set for life. You believe if you get that job, everything will be great. You believe you, you get into that relationship, everything will be perfect. And so often we have all these different appetites that drive us, that motivate us, that we believe that once I achieve that, once I get that, once I be there, then life is good. Then I will have it all. But every time we get there, it's never enough. We're never satisfied. We're always longing for more. Everything starts by getting our hearts right. What has your heart? What has your heart? Because this begins by acknowledging what your hearts are set on that drives your ambitions and your motives. For the crowd, their motives were corroded because their hearts were set on their appetites, not on the significance of Jesus. They, they missed who Jesus was. They saw him as this miracle man that would just be the king that they were looking for, but they missed the reality that the Son of God perfectly expressed uh, and, and the Father in word and deed was standing right before them. Everything was right there in front of them. The crowd, they saw the bread and the power, but they missed the significance. They missed it. They, they, revealed, they saw God do an amazing work but only their appetites for curiosity was aroused, not their faith in him. And then the crowd followed up with a third question. What sign will, will you give us? What will you do? Jesus, how will you keep doing these miracles so that we can believe? I mean, Jesus, they, they were kind of connecting dots. Jesus is the bread of life. And I get it when Moses and the Israelites were in the desert. You, you, God sent down manna and he provided for them. So he did that every day. So, so Jesus, how will you do that? What daily miracle will you give to us so that every day we can wake up? I believe. I believe. There I see God working in my life. I believe. And they were missing something in that question. Everything was going back towards what they could reason with what they could understand with, what they could physically grab a hold on to. You see, my friends, faith, full trust is unattainable when, when, when we limit it to our own understanding. You'll never fully find trust 
in him when it's all based upon what you can understand. Because it's a dangerous path that the crowd was going on, and it's a dangerous path that we go on. Because our trust and our confidence tends to be solely based upon what we can do for ourselves without the divine intervention of God. And we build our lives so much on our own self-confidence that we lose out on the confidence that comes from God. And before you know it, we trust in our own abilities. And God's just a sidekick to come through when life isn't going the way we want it to. And when that happens, we build these walls. And we build this wall with an inability to come to God and come to Jesus. Because everything's built about around what we have built in our life on our own self-confidence that doesn't sustain. And in so doing, we miss the reality of God and what he wants to do in our life. We lose out on faith, which is the vehicle that drives us to the presence of God. You know this entire encounter? This, all these questionings were happening in the synagogue in Capernaum on this day. It was a tight little room. And in this tight little room was a bunch of people, all in different groups. You had the 12 disciples in this corner. Over here in this area were, was the crowd, the people that saw Jesus do this miracle and that wanted to follow him and walk with him. And then over here were the religious leaders. And an interesting dynamic all gathered in this room. And they all had developed their own realities of who Jesus was and what he was to them. And because of that, they all developed their own stories that built upon how they understood things, how they viewed things, how they saw things. And here's the danger I think we sometimes run into. When our story, and we all have our own story, when we allow that to develop our reality, we see the bread and the power, but we miss the significance. I mean, the crowd that was in that room, they wanted Jesus to come through and be the king to wipe out Roman rule. The religious leaders, as you read the story, they begin to question, this can't be the guy. Because we know who the guy should be. This isn't him. This guy, he was born in Nazareth, in Bethlehem. You know, this isn't the guy. He's, this is not right. My friends, we miss the significance of sustaining life in Jesus when our reality is built completely in our own story. You have a story. I have a story. The story is built upon your experiences in life. What has developed you? Your story is a good thing. It makes you who you are. But the challenge is so often we view everything through our own lens of our story. We view everything. We create our own reality through the lens of our own story. And sometimes it causes us to miss the, miss the significance of the life that God wants to give. And there's this gap. Guys, hear me out for a second. I realize I'm going to touch on some wounds. So just, just take a moment and hear me out. We all have stories in our life that cause us to see things in a certain way. And on the nightly news, 
We are littered with brokenness. Every night I turn on the news and I just am overwhelmed with sadness for the world that we live in and the brokenness that we see. For example, just a couple of weeks ago, we were overwhelmed with the heartbreaking story in the case of Tyree Nichols. And I know I have so many black brothers and sisters who are hurting because they have a story. And then I turn on the news and I see the heartbreaking story of another police officer here in our own backyard, Sean Siglansky, who was killed. And I have so many brothers and sisters on the police force. And I know you're hurting because you have a story. And everybody, your story is real. Your story is valid. It's true. We all have stories. And our stories create our realities. And just because my reality doesn't necessarily get this person's reality does not make their reality not true. And what tends to happen is because our own realities are created by our own stories, we get stuck in our story and we miss the reality of God, of Jesus, who Jesus is to us, who Jesus wants to be through us and the full reality of the abundant life through him. See, we struggle so often because we look at Jesus just like the crowd did on that day through the lens of our story and who we want him to be to fulfill my story. And God's saying, you're missing it. You're missing it. And so often we see the bread and the power, but we miss the significance. And for Jesus on that day, he was dealing with the 12 disciples, the crowd, religious leaders and every one of them he was dealing with a gap a gap in their, reality, in their reality and the reality of God and how God wanted to work each group in that room had a gap and my friends our stories sometimes create realities that cause a gap of love that cause a gap of love in our, love, uh, in our life See, living in our own realities, it develops that. It develops that. We experience this gap of love between us and God. Just like that crowd, it's like, God, based upon my story, this is who I need you to be in my life. This is what I want you to be when God's saying, you're missing it. You're missing my heart. You're missing that I am the bread of life. I am the provider for you. I'm not your miracle man. Trust me to take care of you. Trust me to walk with you. You see, everything is developed around our ability to love God and love others. And when there's a gap here, it creates a gap here. And because sometimes there's a gap of love between us and God, it creates a gap of love between us and others. And we live within the realities of our own stories. And it's absolutely impossible for us to be obedient to Jesus living in these gaps. 
impossible for us to live out and follow the I am, the provider of our lives, and live out his commands to one another's, like bear one another's burdens, love one another, if we don't close the gap, if we don't cross over that gap. The gap is closed more and more when we have to check our hearts, check our motives, check our ambitions, and come to Jesus. Because sustaining life is in him. It's not in my story. It's not in my reality. Sustaining life is in him. He is the bread of life. In John 6.33, he said, For the bread of God is the bread that comes down from heaven and gives to the world. He is the sustainer of life. Deep down, the confidence we're seeking is that confidence of being seen, of being valued, and being loved. And Jesus says, it's in me. It's in me. I'm not your miracle man. I'm your provider. I'm everything that you need. And God the Father pours out that bread from heaven. And now the disciples, they're all saying, they turn, they're done questioning. They're saying, can you just, okay, give us the bread. Just every day, can you feed us, feed us, feed us, feed us. How do we get this? And Jesus said this, and we'll close out with these words. I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me will never go hungry, and whoever believes in me will never be thirsty. But as I told you, you have seen me and still do not believe. All those the Father gives me will come to me, and whoever comes to me I will never drive away. For I have come down from heaven, not to do my will, but to do the will of him who sent me. And this is the will of him who sent me, that I shall lose none of all those who has given me, but raise them up at the last day. For my Father's will is that everyone who looks to the Son of God believes in him and shall have eternal life. And I will raise them up on the last day. Jesus said, I am the bread of life. You, you want what I provide? I've already come to you. Now you just need to come to me. Now you need to check your heart. Check your motives. And just come to me. I am the one who sustains life. I am the one who brings peace. I am reason. I am understanding. I am your confidence. I am your motives and your ambition. I am everything you need. My friends, what appetite are you chasing? What gap of love are you wrestling with? What reality are you living in that may be causing you to miss out on the presence of Jesus in your life? Now's the time to come to him. Let's pray. Father, you are the sustainer of life, the giver of life. Lord, may we just come to you and experience you, Father God. Lord, you are so good. Lord, because we are chase our own appetites and we, we kind of put you in a box of what we want you to be to us, that we miss out on who you really are for us. And Lord, help us just to be honest with our hearts and run towards you, experience you, and remove the gap of love that we've developed between us and you and also with us, us and others. Lord, you are the bread of life, the sustainer of goodness and good and all things that we need. To your name we pray, amen.